Welcome to the Governance Freffy podcast, brought to you in conjunction with the Skills and Education Group. I'm delighted that you can join myself, Fiona Chalk, as I discuss with Joanna Griffiths the importance of understanding the Governor's role as a trustee. Joanna leads on policy on the governance of FE and Sixth Form College Corporations at the Department for Education. A former Assistant Charity Commissioner, she worked for many years at the Charity Commission and has significant experience in the governance and regulation of charities. Joanna has worked for over 30 years in the civil service across a number of government departments such as the Cabinet Office and the Foreign Office and previous roles include representing the UK in negotiations on a proposed EU-wide legal identity for charities. She has also been seconded twice to the European Commission, where she worked on EU third sector policy and played a key role in a major programme of internal change. So welcome, Joanna. Hello, thank you for having me. So when colleges were designated um, as independent institutions, they were designated as exempt charities. So given your background, Joanna, you're probably the best placed person to tell us what is meant by a college corporation being an exempt charity. There seems to be some confusion in the sector on this, whether or not governors have to abide by charity commission requirements. So I wondered if you could give us some clarity, firstly, on what is meant by an exempt charity, and secondly, on the charity commission's relationship with the DFE and the ESFA. Yes, of course. Well, um, you probably know that most charities in England and Wales are required to register with the Charity Commission and they're known as registered charities. However, there are some groups of charities which are called exempt charities. And this means that they are exempt from the requirement to register and from direct oversight by the Charity Commission. And the reason they're exempt is that they have their own principal charity regulator. So for FE corporations and sixth form college corporations, the principal charity regulator is the Secretary of State for Education. And a principal regulator has a statutory duty to promote compliance with charity law. The general principles of charity law apply in the same way to exempt charities. For example, trustees' duties are the same as for registered charities. However, there are a few differences For example, trustees of exempt charities don't need to submit accounts to the Charity Commission or annual returns. As you know, college corporations must submit their financial statements to the Education and Skills Funding Agency, ESFA. Mm. Uh, Another example is that exempt charities don't need Charity Commission approval to sell land. Um, The Charity Commission does actually produce a helpful booklet on exempt charities, which explains all this a a little bit more. And then the Charity Commission's relationship with DFE and ESFA. Um, it's, sometimes there's a mistaken understanding that um, a principal regulator, such as the Secretary of State for Education, um, acts on behalf of the Charity Commission. That's not actually the case. Um, the Secretary of State is a regulator uh, in her own right. Um although the Charity Commission does provide advice to to ourselves and to other principal regulators on on charity law matters. The Charity Commission and DFE, including ESFA, um, do work closely together, and this relationship is actually set out in a Memorandum of Understanding, which is available online. 
Um, sometimes an exempt charity needs approval from the Charity Commission for certain actions and the Commission must consult a principal regulator before making any such decision. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the Charity Commission can also use its investigation and other regulatory powers in connection with an exempt charity, but it can't do this unilaterally. It can only do this at the request of the principal regulator. Okay. Um, for FE Corporation and Sixth Form College Corporations, that would be very unusual. Um, I don't know of that, of that happening in, re in recent times. Mm. <clears throat> and the Commission doesn't normally act where a principal regulator um, already has powers to do certain things. But if, if, a, if a principal regulator doesn't have all the powers it needs and there's a particular problem which requires regulatory intervention, then it can ask the Charity Commission to step in. Okay. Okay, that is really helpful, Joanna. Thank you. Thank you so much for explaining that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and you spoke about that the trustees' responsibilities are the same, whether you're an exempt charity or not. Um, so governors, therefore, have a different hats to wear, don't they? They're that of a, a governor of the college corporation, but also as a trustee. Are there any differences between the responsibilities of being a college governor and being a trustee? Um, well, the key thing here is that governors' responsibilities stem from education law, particularly the Further and Higher Education Act 92, while trustees' responsibilities come from charity law. Um, the charity law requirements are broader in scope. However, the fundamental principles are similar between governors' and trustees' responsibilities. For example, governors' responsibility under education law for the effective use of resources, keeping their organisation solvent and safeguarding assets, that equates to the trustee duty to manage resources responsibly. Um, there's also an overlap between governor and trustee responsibilities with the seven principles of public life, known as the okay. Nolan principles, which cover, mm -hmm. for example, objectivity and accountability. Um, these principles of public life are not legal requirements. I mean, they're not set out in law, um, but you'll find similar principles in there um, to those set out um, for governors and trustees in education and charity law. So when we're talking about those responsibilities, there's obviously quite a lot of crossover there. Are there any other sort of main duties of charity trustees that you think we should be discussing or focusing on today? Yeah, there are um, six main duties of charity trustees, and I'll, I'll run through those. Um, the first is to ensure that your charity or college corporation carries out its purposes for the public benefit. This means that trustees or governors must ensure that their charity carries out the purpose for which it was set up and no other purpose. Sometimes charities do stray outside their purposes. There's a bit of mission drift. Mm -hmm. um, and even though this is well-intentioned, it's important, particularly when a charity may be engaging in a, new, in a new activity, that trustees check that they are sticking within their charity's purposes and that they take professional advice if they aren't sure. The second duty is to comply with your charity's governing document and the law. 
So for college corporations, obviously the governing document is the instrument and articles. Complying with the law here doesn't just mean charity law, it means any relevant laws or regulations. So that could include, for example, health and safety law or equality law. There are various sources of guidance and advice around to help trustees. Um, mm -hmm. The board's governance professional, for example, will be a key source of support um, to help governors understand that their role and, and obligations. The third duty is to act in your charity's best interests. This means that trustees must act exclusively in the interests of the charity and avoid any conflicts with personal interests. Mm -hmm. So, for example, trustees can't receive any personal benefits such as payment unless mm -hmm. this is authorised. And the Charity Commission does actually have some useful guidance on making decisions and ensuring that, ensuring that these are balanced and, and informed. The fourth duty is to manage your charity's resources responsibly. And this means making the most effective use of resources, avoiding undue risk, taking care when investing or borrowing, for example. It's general prudence, really, in, in the management of finances and assets. The fifth main duty is to act with reasonable care and skill. This means trustees giving enough time to their role, making the best use of their skills and experience, and knowing when to take professional advice. So the key there is reasonable care and skill. Trustees mm -hmm. aren't expected to be expert in everything, yeah. but if they're not sure about something or they don't know enough about something, uh, then they should know when it's appropriate to obtain professional advice to inform decision making. And the sixth main duty is to ensure that your charity is accountable. So, of course, trustees need to meet formal accounting reporting requirements. Um, I think one important concept is important to bear in mind is that trustees are essentially guardians of funds held for the public benefit. So this means they need to be open and transparent about how their charity operates and be able to show that it's run effectively. And those are the six main duties. Lovely. Thank you very much, uh, Joanna. Um, you mentioned in one of those about um, payment. I don't intend to go into the payment um, of trustees here, but it probably would be one area where colleges might get involved with the Charity Commission. Are there any other examples of perhaps key uh, charity regulatory requirements that colleges might interact with the Commission on? Yes. Um, so although... Um charities such as college corporations are exempt charities, they may still need the Charity Commission's approval for certain actions mm -hmm. because a principal charity regulator doesn't have uh, the power in law to give that authority. Only the Charity Commission or, or the courts have, have that power. Okay. Um, you've mentioned the authorisation which is needed to pay board members. Um, another example would be that um, a board would need to go to the Commission if it wanted to seek a waiver from the disqualification rules, which normally apply to prospective trustees and certain senior executive staff. Okay. So these rules say, for example, that somebody can't be a trustee mm -hmm. or in a senior position if, if they're an undischarged bankrupt or 
they've committed committed a crime, got a criminal record, yeah. various things such as that. Um, but um, sometimes there may be particular circumstances where a waiver is appropriate and that authority needs to come from the charity commission. Mm-hmm. Um, and exempt charities can also ask the charity commission for formal advice on charity law matters. Uh, as well okay that that's really useful to know and to and to just go back to the first um duty there of charity trustees which was to ensure that their organization is operating within the purpose so just to be clear that's the purpose that's set out in what section 18 of the 92 act so to provide an education is that what you're referring to there uh yes like the act covers uh uh, the powers of corporations to to c- conduct further education mm-hmm. and, and and so on. Um, so, so, so yes, um, purpose is something which is recognised in law as being a charitable purpose, and charitable purposes include, for example, the advancement of education, the advancement of religion, uh, promotion okay. of public health, and a whole whole range of, of, of other matters. So when we talk about purpose, it's um, uh, the you know, specific objective for which an organisation is established in, in law as, as a charity. Okay, lovely. Thanks for clarifying that. So the um, to move on, the, the sector, the FE sector has its own code of governance um, and the charity sector also has a code of governance and some institutions in FE adopt one or the other. I mean, I've always supported the the FE sector code, not least because it references students. And I think it's always good to have a a mechanism to keep the board focused on students. However, I do like the framework of the charity code. It details, you know, purpose, rationale and outcomes for each principle. So it's quite uh, similar to the education inspection frameworks, intent, implementation and impact. And I just wonder what your thoughts were were on the codes. And am I allowed to ask if you have a preference? (laughs) <laughs> I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> um, well, just to recap, it's it's a funding requirement that college corporations follow one of three codes. So mm-hmm. there's also the UK Corporate Code of Governance, yeah. as well as the Association of Colleges Code and the Charity Governance Code. And as, as you recognise, um, each code has a different flavour. Um, looking in particular at the AOC Code and the Charity Governance Code, Um, As you suggest, the AOC code is a bit more tailored to the specific FE context, Mm -hmm. whereas the charity governance code, I'd say, is a little more closely tied to charity law. Um, You've mentioned that the AOC code uh, focuses on on students, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, The charity governance code being designed for many different types of organisation won't have that level of tailoring, but it does cover the same principles in that it, it will refer to um, the charity's relationship with its beneficiaries mm-hmm. and the beneficiaries of college corporations are students. Um, at, the end, at the end of the day, is it's really for each board to decide which code is best for the context of their organisation and which suits them best, really. Okay. Um, so, uh, as you said, the fundamental thing is that they have adopted and are adhering to uh, a code of governance. Yeah. 
And so, so the purpose of this podcast obviously is to promote uh, good and effective governance. Um, so from the aspect of good and effective governance, what would you like to see governing bodies or governors doing more of in their role as trustees? Um, well, I think it's important firstly to recognise that there are many boards and governors doing a really great job leading what are quite complex organisations. It's I think it's quite a demanding role, really. Um, but I'd say... Uh, in the first instance, to be more proactive um, about making sure you understand the requirements of charity law and what this means in practice. But remember also that governance isn't just about following the law and uh, the formal requirements. Important those, those um, important though those are. Um, it's also about behaviours. Um, the FE reform agenda. Um, you remember the white paper from uh, some while back. Mm. <clears throat> um, this speaks about the agenda speaks about um, supporting the sector to strengthen governance standards. And key to that are board dynamics and the relationship between the board and the governance professional and the senior executive team. Um, so I would say you know, aim for a diverse board with a mix of skills and experience. Cultivate a supportive decision making environment where independent thinking is encouraged and people free, feel free to question established views. Um, keep focus on continuous improvements in governance. Think about that behaviour aspect and what more you can do to create an environment where governance excellence can flourish. That's really helpful. And, and just hearing you talk about those things um, and also about what we've discussed um um, to this point around charity law and the role of trustees, I'm thinking that this should really be part of an induction for both uh, governors and governance professionals, and I hope it is included in some of what the sector provides. But as you mentioned previously, the Charity Commission, for example, has lots of good guidance. So, so where can people go to find out more on this topic? Uh, yes, as, as we've said, um, the Charity Commission has a range of useful publications. They're available online. Um, they include, for example, The Essential Trustee, which um, expands more on um, the the main duties of trustees, which we, we've just spoken about. Um, DFE publishes an FE Governance Guide, mm -hmm. also available online or your governance professional will be able to supply you with a paper copy, no doubt, if, if you need that. Um, the Education and Training Foundation, ETF, is planning some learning on the trustee role. And um, the duties of trustees are covered briefly in um, governor inductions. Um, it's also worth looking a little more widely at, um, for example, at information available from charity sector bodies, um, such as the NCVO, the National Council for Voluntary Organisations. Yeah, that's really helpful to hear because, you know, I wonder whether the sector should be doing more to engage with charity sector bodies and activities. I mean, we have Trustees Week coming up soon. As you say, the Charity Commission has some great resources. There's some great recruiters such as, you know, Getting On Board and Trustees Unlimited. I do feel it's maybe a little bit of an untapped resource. Um, yes, yes, you, you may well be right. There's quite a lot of information out there. Mm -hmm. And um, there are a number of um, other organisations which it could be useful yeah. to engage mm -hmm. with, for example. There, there's an association of charity chairs. Um, I'm not aware of any FE sector involvement in that. Um, 
but they, you know, they have some interesting talks and um, produce some interesting guidance. They've produced some guidance, for example, on the relationship between the chair and the chief executive, which is worth looking at. Um, but yes, hopefully your governance professional will be able to guide you um, to, to where to find some of this stuff. Yeah, thank you, Joanna. Um, so you've shared much of your expertise, which is really helpful. Um, is, is there one key message that you'd like to leave our listeners with today regarding being an exemplary trustee for an FE institution? <laughs> well, it's difficult to know which which points to focus on. I mean, there are quite a few and I don't want people to feel overwhelmed. Mm. Um, but I would say the key thing I think is that trustees um, are not expected to know and to be an expert in everything. But if you are a trustee or governor, do keep yourself informed. Take opportunities for learning and development. Don't be afraid to ask if you don't understand something. And always have students, your charity's beneficiaries, at the forefront of your mind. Because that's what you're there for. Those are people you're there to serve, really. So keep thinking about how your board can achieve the best for them. Lovely. Thanks, Joanna. I mean, it's been a joy talking to you. So thank you so much for joining us on the Governance Freffy podcast and sharing your insights into the role of a governor as a trustee of an FE institution. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us on the Governance Refi podcast. Visit our website, governancerefi.co.uk, where you can find all the podcast episodes and a whole lot more information on governance in the FE and skills sector. This podcast was sponsored by the Skills and Education Group. Information on their qualifications, funding opportunities, professional development programmes and initiatives in support of teaching, learning and assessment can be found on their website at skillsandeducationgroup.co.uk. Okay.